You're listening to episode 324 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, joined as always by my co-host Wayne as we continue our examination of the BBC's Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Uh, you still liking it? I do, yeah. Yeah, I really like this episode. It's good. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm really getting into the story. I'm getting into the characters. I, I, I love the time period as we talked before. So, uh, you know, we've got some decisions to make about uh, whether there's going to be a break in our coverage of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, but we'll keep you guys posted on that uh, in the next week or two, because there are a couple of shows that are just really itching to be discussed. So, you know, we'll keep you guys posted. And, and, you know, as, as you and I were talking offline, we'll figure that out. Now, in terms of what I'm watching, uh, fourth and final season of The Good Place, I, I don't think you watch The Good Place, right? I, I don't. I've heard a lot of good stuff about it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, it's, it's a really great show. And I, I'm glad they went into the fourth season knowing it was to be their last because there's not a lot they can do, I think. They've really explored about as many different areas as they can and while season four is still strong you know i i think it's, it's it's a good time to call it quits but the other thing i watched is a series called quicksand on netflix and i might have mentioned this just in passing last time it's the first swedish netflix series that's been produced and it's a difficult premise for i think some people to except especially if you're an american i don't know what goes on the rest of the world but it examines the aftermath and the events leading up to a school shooting and the story centers around an 18 year old girl who's accused in the shooting the relationship she has with her mega rich boyfriend and it's really a, a wonderful psychological crime drama that culminates in a trial it operates with flashbacks to things that that lead up to this point. The acting is great. Six episodes, so it's it's not a terribly long investment. But I was reading one of Kevin Batchelder's Facebook posts, and and I know a lot of people probably know Kevin from podcasts that that they may listen to that that he does. And I don't even remember the show, but it, he was mentioning a non-genre show that he's watching and, and how it's really good and how he hardly ever watches non-genre. And, and I guess sitting down with my wife on a nightly basis and having these non-genre shows for the most part that we watch together has, has really you know woken me up to the fact that I don't want to limit myself. I mean, there's a lot of great genre out there that we want to keep our our uh, eyes on and our ears on but but still i I'm, I'm glad this is a show despite you know the, the topic because uh i think they handle it well the, you know the way they they show things but uh anyway it's called quicksand netflix first swedish series so what do you got okay well i, don't, I can't remember if we talked about last time but you had mentioned in the shadow of the moon and I can't remember if I watched it last week or, or the week before or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, you had said that it was pretty good. I went and watched that. It was pretty good. But so I was just bringing that up because it's just it's a shout out to something we already talked about. So uh, Rebellion, season two of Rebellion has dropped on Netflix. And I had watched season one. It was a, a, a probably about a year ago. Um, actually, no, it was three years ago, I think, because it came out in 1916. Um, going along with the Easter Rising, the 100th anniversary of the Easter Rising three years ago. And uh, it was about the Easter Rising in Ireland, and it was, you know, pretty good. Seeing from, like, you know, not the the great man-type point of view, but from the regular person's point of view. It's pretty solid and, you know, good characters. And uh, Brendan Gleeson's son, Brian Gleeson, is, is one of the lead roles. He was really good. So then, you know, season two rolled around, and I, I, I even forgot that I saw season one. So I just started. I just hit play, thinking, "Well, this is episode one, season one." And all of a sudden, it says season two, episode one. I'm like, 
wait, what the what? <laughs> and I went back, like, oh, yeah, I remember watching this show and everything, but I couldn't really really remember. So I actually went back to watch uh, season one again before I get to season two because it was really like a big in medias race type thing. Like all of a sudden they are really in the middle of the story. I'm like, that's a strange place to start. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, it's because they, they aren't starting. This is picking up from before. So, yeah, pretty good show, Rebellion. Cool. Yeah, I, I did see season one, and it was really good, as you said. And, you know, I I swear I've seen season two, but if you said it just dropped, then maybe I'm thinking of something uh, else. You know, I said that I might not have just dropped. It might have okay. just dropped on me. Like, I might have okay. just realized that it, it, uh, <laughs> that season two had come out, and I completely missed it. So, but uh, there's one more thing, actually, because uh, being an old English guy, you would appreciate this. Uh, I didn't even realize Kenneth Branagh had made a movie about basically Shakespeare's retirement. Uh, Kenneth Branagh actually yeah. plays Shakespeare after he retires from, you know, his theatrical career in London and returns to Stratford-upon-Avon, where he promptly drops dead a couple months later. So, you know, I thought, I didn't even know that this movie had been made. And so it's called um, All is True. Have you ever heard of this movie? I have not, no. Yeah, I didn't either. It's about Shakespeare by Kenneth Branagh, and somehow I completely missed it. But I went to the library and saw saw it was there. So I'm like, ah, oh, I'll check. So it was okay. You know, it was great. I'm kind of a Shakespeare nerd, so there's a lot of stuff I appreciated in it. If you're not a Shakespeare nerd, I would stay far, far, far away from it. You're going to hate it. You know, uh, Judy Dench plays, uh, J- Dame Judy Dench plays uh, Anne Shakespeare, his estranged wife, and, um, you know, it was a good cast, solid movie, very, you know, kind of, you know, it, it's not, it's the, you know, no, no action or anything in it, uh, obviously. And, um, you know, but like I said, if, if you're into Shakespeare, uh, you might enjoy it. Uh, but if you're not into Shakespeare, just, you know, don't, don't even bother. All right. Well, let's talk about. Jonathan Strange, Mr. Norrell, episode 103, The Education of a Magician, written by Peter Harness, directed by Toby Haynes, aired May 31st, 2015. One thing I did notice when I was you know, looking for some background, there was a 50%, over a 50% drop in viewership from the season premiere. And while most shows do encounter that sort of a drop, that, that was a pretty big drop. That said, I've also seen it referred to as one of the 10 most important television series of 2015. So, again, as we know, something great isn't always accepted by the masses. So, who knows? You know, this episode kind of breaks down into two areas. Jonathan travels to Spain with the army. And, you know, we, we learn a lot about his power or lack of power, and, and it's pretty much an eye-opener for him. And then Arabella trying to make a case for Lady Pole and, and the fact that somebody needs to do something for her. But, of course, as we'll talk, Norrell has his hand in this situation as well. But one other point that almost seems like an afterthought, we, we get that one scene where Segundus is readying his school when Childermass rides up and tells him, you can't run a school for magicians, and basically threatens Segundus, whose response is, of course, this is tyranny. This is tyranny, I say. So that's it. It's almost like they just threw it in there to remind us that Segundus is going to start a school for magicians and Norrell doesn't want it to go. So I, I don't know. Is there anything else I'm missing about that storyline? Nah, yeah. I mean, they certainly didn't expand on it any, uh, except to, you know, show both, you know, Mr. Norrell, obviously completely obsessed with his idea of the, I guess the sanctity of English magic and Jonathan, who kind of pays lip service to that at first, and, you know, like tells Wellington, you know, that, you know, Wellington's like, you know, make these dudes come back alive. And, and Jonathan's like, well, yeah, that's, that's really not the, the you know, proper type of magic. And, and Wellington's like, did I stutter? You know, like kind of like that. I don't care what you think. You were given an order and you'll follow the order. And so Jonathan realizes that, 
you know, he he has to um, he has to to make some compromises here with you know that Norrell wouldn't make because Norrell is the, the the typical guy in the ivory tower who just wants to just read his books and, and not have his fingers dirty by the real world. And, and we have Jonathan here getting blood and dirt on him, and he's, you know, smack dab in, in the middle of the real world, the complete opposite of, of Mr. Norrell. Right, and it really reminds me of Henry in Stephen Crane's Red Badge of Courage. This young boy goes into war with these romantic notions of what it's going to be like, and that's really what Strange did, because once he's there, and you know, we'll talk about how he's treated, and, and uh, you know, he brings up the lack of respect for magicians, which is something he and Norrell are trying to change, but the real war is not at all what he expected. And I think he goes into this situation with an overinflated sense of importance in terms of what he'll be able to do with magic to help the war effort. And I, I find it fascinating on the one hand that, you know, we get to the end and all of a sudden he's home and okay. You did some things like build that road, which is really going to, save the men's shoes which is not a small thing in war right no no it's a huge thing so you know i mean we get that scene they're in lisbon portugal he reports for duty and and he's looking for lord wellington and and right away nobody cares that he's there well i'm the magician i I don't know what he was expecting you know some sort of a big welcome party but they're all pretty indifferent to him and not impressed by him at all and you know one of the things wellington says to him later i I really like is that i expect the impossible from my engineers my officers Mm -hmm. he doesn't say my men but you know he means that as well why would i treat you any differently yeah i love that line. that was great yeah and again it it gets me to thinking about the magicians and yes they go to school yes they have spells that are written down but it's almost as if they've been trained in general principles of magic so that they can go out and you know wave their hands and whatever and and create spells as opposed to strange who just seems to be mired in his books you mean Norrell? No, I mean strange. Like he, like he's oh. in. Oh, you mean like oh before? Like a, right, right. Okay, well, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I need you to do this. Well, bring my books. I'm gonna figure out how to move right. the woods. Uh, well, I I can't move the woods. How about a mist? I didn't ask for a mist. I asked you to move the woods. Now, again, as it turns out, he creates that mist when all hell breaks loose and in fact his man jeremy is killed and i didn't notice it the first time jeremy pushes him out of the way yeah and saves his life yes yeah and takes the cannonball yeah instead of strange so that that was a pretty powerful scene the books are all destroyed especially since this is the guy who just made you haul a big case of books out here so you know I don't know how favor I might be like man if I if I let that thing hit you I don't have to carry these books back probably you know like yeah and and you know that first scene when he finally does meet with Wellington and and Wellington ever the pragmatist well what can you do for me how can you help us right strange really has no idea I can make it rain it's been raining for 2 years or yeah. I don't know what he says because <laughs> it just stopped right. I don't need rain so Strange goes into this situation, and I guess we could argue that it wasn't his choice. He he was sort of pushed in that direction to go. I mean, they I think they wanted Norrell, right? And Norrell, yes, he refused. Go, so right, so Strange ends up going. So so certainly there is that. He's somewhat skeptical, and and Strange is of no help really as to what he can do. But I love the scene when they're sitting around at night around the campfire and you you can see he's just disgusted by the conditions the guy gives him his flask to drink from and you notice first thing he does is wipes it on his jacket <laughs> yeah 
And you think about everything these men are going through, and and you're worried about that, really. But, yeah. Well, but you know, but on the other hand, he is making that effort to sit down and be with the men. I mean, he could easily just stay in his own tent, and because he is removed by class from these men. And um, but he's not an officer, right? So he can go and fraternize with you know the the lower officer corps there. It seems like who these guys are, but but yet there is you know what. But while he is hanging out and talking with the common soldiers, there's still that element that has him wipe off the mouth of the canteen before taking the sip, or when someone hands him a, a bowl of of stew, I guess, or something to eat, he kind of smells it and or taste it and makes like a face you know like so he's still not like 100 percent one of the boys but he certainly is he's doing the right thing and, and making taking steps towards acceptance right and i love the that extension of that scene when the one guy says are you the guy with all the books and and he thinks the guy's going to have some sort of question about magic or whatever. And no, he hands him a letter from home because he can't read. Yeah. And we get the idea right away. It's a dear John letter. And I love, I love the language his, his ex <laughs> sends. I've spoiled yeah. our wedding China by spilling a pan of jam on it. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's one way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then suddenly everybody else thrusts their letters into Jonathan's hand. So, it, it, you know, as you said, He's with a totally different class in this scene. But then, of course, with the officers who, again, really treat him with very little respect for what he can do. And I guess on the one hand, you understand that because. Well, sure. What can what can you do? Yeah. I mean, this is also a, a kind of conventional arc and we've seen it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've never been in the military, but anytime someone joins a group that they're new to, there is this kind of moment, almost of like of initiation, right? Where you have to prove yourself to the group that you're worthy of, of acceptance, right? Um, like Marcus Peters, for example, this past yes. weekend, you know, you intercept a, a pass from uh, Russell Wilson, return for a touchdown. All of a sudden, you're accepted, right? Um, Welcome to but, the Ravens. Uh, but I, yeah, exactly. Oh, what a great game. So, yeah, I was thinking of, uh, you've seen Band of Brothers, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so the one episode with uh, Paul Rudd's in the couple, but the one where he comes back, like he, he got wounded earlier, and he's returning to Easy Company, and now it's like he's a new guy because he hasn't been through... He wasn't there at the Battle of the Bulge where they really suffered. And so they treat him like he's an outsider. And he has to go through this kind of reinitiation process. And it's almost exactly like what Jonathan goes through, where at first he's treated with uh, disrespect and, and irritation, I guess. And then once he's able to prove himself, then he get there's that scene of acceptance and respect. Right. Well, I think the the scene that is ar- arguably the most poignant scene, you know, the he's trying to talk to the trees so he can move the forest. And that's what, of course, alerts the French. And the next thing you know, we're in the middle of a firefight. Artillery, as, as we said, descends on the men. And that's where Jeremy is killed. I guess out of frustration, Strange creates the mist, which allows the French to retreat or, or leads them to retreat and, and the English to retreat. And Wellington's angry because the French got his cannon. But as that one officer says, yeah, he may have lost his cannon, but your miss saved our lives. Yeah. And well, and, also he's, he just has all his books are destroyed except for the Raven King book. That's the only book he has left. So he like very right. hastily conjures up the miss. Cause that's like all he can think of. And in a very stressful situation. Yeah. But the one thing, you know, before we get to that scene, you've already mentioned where he brings somebody back from life because they want to question those prisoners. But he has that conversation with Wellington who asks if magic can kill a man. And Strange's response is a magician might, but a gentleman never could. Again, just shows how little he understands 
of the situation that he finds himself in because in war there is no room for yeah. being a gentleman and i understand at this time period things were a bit different in, in the way that war was conducted well, they were they weren't you know like i think there's a lot of similarities well, well well there were but but the way officers would be treated if they were captured and and uh, you know if you captured a a fellow officer it wouldn't be unusual to have him at dinner that night with you unarmed of course but yeah. you know treated like a fellow officer just that you know you're a prisoner so so we get to that scene and i was trying to think of the science fiction show and it's probably been in several where they hook up you know wires or whatever to some dead guy because they want to see his last memories and I want to say Fringe, but I don't know if it was Fringe. Uh, I think it was Fringe, actually. It, okay, it might have been. But it, it, again, it's it's a a story arc that I'm sure appears in other sci-fi. We understand why he needs to bring these guys back. And, and of course, the problem is Jonathan doesn't know how to make them dead again. Because right. essentially they're zombies, and I'm thinking like, well, dude, just cut off their heads. How hard is that? Everybody knows that's how you kill a zombie. Yeah, exactly. Right, but you know, well, again, the, the there's always consequences with with magic, right? It's right. not just sure. like just one thing you do it and then just okay, go back. You know, these guys are pleading with him, don't send us back to hell. You know, and so that's a yeah that that's a tough call to make. And you see, Jonathan is he's been up there for days trying to figure out how to help these guys or to you know to solve his problem. Um, and you know, Wellington in his manner just says, "Well, here you get out of here." And then while he's out, he said, "Okay, burn it down." You know, right? So there, and, and problem then, solved. Right. And then when Strange leaves the windmill, he's in really bad shape because he understands the the significance of what it is that he's done. The men all remove their caps in respect. It goes back to really what he was all about when this situation started, which was to gain respect for magicians, make magic respectable. But you go back to the title of the episode, the the education of a magician and he really has learned a lot here and you know it, it reminds me of the earlier scene when he sends that magazine into the the mirror but he doesn't know how to bring it back he right. knows how to bring these guys back to life but he doesn't know how to send them back and again he's he's not as adept as he needs to be Mm-hmm. And he's got a lot of learning to do, which is, again, why I think the, the title of this episode is, is so great. Arabella returns home. We get that tearful reunion with Jonathan because he's seen things and how much he's going to tell her, how much he's going to protect her. The thing I think we all love about Arabella is she's a strong woman. So I, I think in the end, she's going to probably demand that he tell her. But. They barely have any time to be alone. Norrell shows up, and then we see him leave and invite Strange to breakfast the next day for a debrief and a return of his books. And the look on Jonathan's face. Like, uh... uh just, yeah. <laughs> About that. But, yeah. Now, now, the other thing that I also thought was interesting is that Strange brings up in his conversation he has with Wellington about... You know, Wellington mentions about the politicians and that they need to stay out of his business because they don't understand. They look into that bowl with the magician and they see such a small microcosm of the larger picture. Again, I think it's just a commentary on politicians running wars that they really have no idea what they're doing in many cases. And, and, and that's obviously a common thread that's been going on sure. for hundreds and hundreds of years. All right. The case of Lady Pole and what's to be done with her. Now, you had mentioned, and, and I'm glad you mentioned it last time, because I don't, I don't know how I missed 
the, the part about her dancing all night and mm-hmm. that's why she you know ends up as she is well why don't she just sleep all day then if she's dancing all night yeah so, there must be something more to it than that you, you know even even though unless that's a metaphor that you know we're we're supposed to right. look at right. but but still what we find out about her is that there are all sorts of rumors going around as to why she doesn't see anyone other than Arabella and uh, again i forget the guy's name it's a draw buddy yeah right right and he's trying to pry information out of arabella about lady pole and and of course report right back to norrell but you know she holds she holds true and yeah she's super tough a lot in in this episode you know like She's definitely one yeah. of my favorite characters in the show. Oh, She's- yeah, no question. And now, you know, there's something about Lady Polk that I love as well in, in a different way. And we see her cutting up dresses. And again, we're wondering all right, what's going on here. This <laughs> is very Boo Radley-ish cutting up dresses. Are you going to stab your husband in the leg with the scissors next if he comes yeah. in the room? But she's creating uh you know this this needlepoint tableau kind of uh you know scene that really speaks for her even though she has to explain it vaguely i i will say well, um, yeah but it's like her almost like end around you know it's like her way of expressing what's going on because she can't say it every time she tries to speak it it comes out as gibberish, right? Right. But she can create the tapestry that depicts what's happening with her. And if Arabella can kind of figure it out, then you know, then she might actually be able to get some help here. Right. Right. And you know, she explains most of the characters. And in Fred's feedback, I guess we'll hold off on that. You know, one of the characters, I guess, I think it's somebody other than he thinks. So I guess we'll we'll hold off and let Fred. You know, say his sure. piece and then then come back to that. The other thing through all of this, Childermass is stealing Jonathan's mail, which means that Arabella's not getting the letters he's writing her from the war, nor is he getting the ones she's writing him. Right. Uh, you know, maybe one or two get through. He's bringing them to Norrell. I find it interesting later on that Childermass even says he doesn't feel good about doing this. And I wonder, is his loyalty to Norrell beginning to fade? Is he going to start seeing Norrell for who he truly is? Because I think Childermass, there's something about magic that is fascinating to him. And I think he's glommed on to Norrell as this man that he thinks can bring magic back to England. But now that he's met Jonathan Strange... And he realizes Norrell's maybe not the man I thought he was. I, I, I wonder if that's a, the first little hint that, that maybe he's not going to stay loyal well, to him. I, I, I think he, he, he's got a pretty clear idea of what Norrell is like. Um, he's just a really kind of fascinating character to me because, yeah, he's like the servant, but in many ways he's also kind of – in charge, I think we kind of like them to like a like a manager of a band or something, you know. Where you like technically okay. you work it for the band, but you're the one who tells them where to go and what to do and everything. <clears throat> but we see him going like again, like stealing the letters, uh, cutting the tapestry out that Lady Pole had been working on. I mean, he's he's taking some pretty extreme actions uh, to you know do Norrell's bidding. Yeah, but I I just wonder. Is he as, yeah, I, I hesitate to use the word evil. I mean, should we start looking at Norrell as an evil character or is he just despicable? Yeah, right. And I think that there's that's a good kind of distinction between the two. He's certainly despicable. I don't know if it's evil. He's certainly self-centered and he he's, is kind of, just focused on his own agenda and he's not beyond sacrificing people 
who stand in his way. And certainly Lady Paul is a sacrifice. And you know, when he says there's nothing he can do, you know, that, that might actually be true. But he certainly knows more about what's happening here than he's letting on. And, he, you know, again, if maybe he just told Jonathan what was going on, you know, Jonathan might be able to do something if Mr. Norrell's not. So he's, he's kind of covering his own ass and, and uh, letting others suffer in his wake. Well, you, you wonder because clearly Arabella knows what's going on. I mean, she has that discussion with Sir Walter when she tells him, well, she wasn't mad before the magic, and that's certainly coming on the heels of Norrell telling her that magic can't cure madness. And he says, yeah, she was dead, madam. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Not mad, dead. And, and, <laughs> yeah, right. But Stephen and the gentleman discuss plans for Arabella, and, and certainly you mentioned uh, last time that gentleman seems to have a thing for Arabella and thinks it's best if all parties reside at his place. And it's understandable when he mentions about Stephen, because there you'll be seen as the king you are, not as, and he motions to his face, I suppose, implying that nobody will notice the color of your skin and and judge you accordingly Mm -hmm. uh, at my place. But we also get a little bit of talk of love, claims that Jonathan doesn't love her because he left her. Yeah, maybe an oversimplification, wouldn't you yeah, think? Right. Well, he's you know he's the ultimate like predator dude. You know, like he wants this girl. He's totally willing to say and do anything to get her. And she, but the, what he doesn't get is that she knows that she she sees what he's up to, and she's having none of it. And that just frustrates him more because now it's like not a matter of, well, I really like her. It's a matter of I want her and I can't have her. And I'm not used to being frustrated when I want something. Usually when I want something, I get it. And so now he wants her because he wants her, you know, not for any other reason than that. You know, it's 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 kind of good to see Arabella like standing up to him and holding her ground. And because he's really kind of putting on the pressure to, to get her to, you know, come to him, I guess. You know, by suggesting that he can make everything good with Lady Pole. But again, Arabella kind of sees, well, that may be, that might be, but uh, I, I know there's something else. You've got some kind of agenda. You've got some kind of, you know, subtext going on here that is not okay. Right, and the the cool thing is we know it's so much darker and more sinister than she has any idea, yet her spidey sense tells her that something ain't right with this guy. Right. Now, you know, you mentioned Childermass cutting the tapestry, and as he's looking at it, you know, we hear scary music, and, and we don't really know if he hears it. He cuts it with a knife, and then the music and the voices stop. Assume he doesn't hear it, but I, I still found it interesting. But Arabella wants to know from the gentleman if he can remove Emma's madness. And, and of course, there's always the question, what's he want in return? And I love it. Do not make a bargain of my friend. Right. And uh, you, you wonder if the two men magicians would you know, even think of that despite everything that that seems to occupy their thought about honor and making magic respectable well I, we should, we know, know norrell is to- totally willing to cut a deal cuz he did right like norrell would right. have no qualms really <clears throat> about that you know like in this we see too because like Norrell does things for his own self-interest, and like when he has Childermas steal the tapestry, um, you know, and then she attempts suicide. So it's like Norrell has absolutely zero care for the consequences of what he does. Right? He just does things, and it's the same thing. Saving Lady Pole in the first place, cutting a deal with the fairy, was him doing something to advance his own self-interest with little thought at all to the consequences of what he's doing and that's what 
most that's probably the one thing that makes him the most as you said despicable Arabella goes to see Emma is of course turned away by Stephen, who's also speaking gibberish and and we we get this recurring theme of tiny men mm-hmm. I, I I have no idea what that means um maybe it's going to become important later on but it seems to be more than gibberish there there seems to be some sort of meaning there um, sure outside of uh you know, yeah jonathan Ab- swift <laughs> gulliver's travel yeah kind right. of thing well yeah and we could see like okay now here's maybe some hope for lady pole because you get a feeling that once arabella and jonathan kind of talk about this you know, you get a feeling that they're going to start realizing that there's more to it and that this, the, because Stephen isn't mad, right? But yet he's spouting the same gibberish that Lady Pole is, you know. So I, I think that it's just another way, another piece of evidence for Stephen to get closer to understanding what's really going on with Lady Pole and really being able to help her out. Right, but he's controlled by the gentleman in some way, somehow, you know, we don't really know, even though the gentleman maintains that he is in fact a king and, you know, we see the image with the crown and all of that, but Stephen goes to see the gentleman in that creepy room and, and the gentleman at this point is spurned by Arabella. So he's going to do what any red-blooded guy that's been spurned is going to do i'm going to kill jonathan when he returns all right there you go right so <laughs> we're, we're kind of left with that i mean he seems a bit disturbed uh when steven rebuffs his attempt to involve steven in taking out jonathan so uh you know it's sort of like children masses is having second thoughts about stealing the mail and spying on the strangers and now steven seems reluctant to do some of these sinister things that the gentleman wants him to do. Right. But he shows we see Steven as being like more, uh, you know, is a compulsion, right? Like not, we don't really see Steven as having a lot of free will in what he does. So he does assert to the, to the gentleman, that like, I'm not a slave. I'm, I'm a free man, but we really get an, a, a sense of his, being manipulated and controlled and you know children mass you know we get the feeling that he's doing things he's he's not obeying this because he has to obey mr norrell but because he wants to yeah and he shows that vision to stephen of his future in which he kills the king and takes his place of course like Macbeth and duncan sure shows him it a work out for the, well for that guy so no, it didn't. Um, and of course, Strange was unable to move the woods, which again, also kind of a nod to Macbeth, but yeah, we won't go there. But he shows him that vision of the hold of a slave ship, claims to be showing Stephen his birth. His mother appears to die after the baby's born, baby taken away, born a slave. And he, and he says, this is what has been taken from you. So does he mean your mother has been taken from you and it turns out the ship is in fact owned by sir walter's family so whether that's how stephen came to work for sir walter uh, and and he claims there aren't slaves in england i guess at this point so that he's a paid servant i uh-huh. assume so whether he's paid in room and board and a salary you know we don't know but how much of this is true, we don't know. Is this more the gentleman manipulating Stephen so that Stephen comes back to the fold because he seems to be straying a little bit? But kind of a disturbing scene, nonetheless, in the hold of that slave ship. Yeah, well, yeah, a super, um, super disturbing scene. And, and who would not be affected by, especially someone whose mother died giving birth to him, to, to see your mother, you know, like that, that's going to be very emotional for him. And again, manipulative. I mean, the, the gentleman is just super manipulative and knows how to get at people, though, like we said, not successful with Arabella. You know, then we get that final scene where Childermass seems to experience the feeling that someone's doing magic, but 
neither nor, nor strange is in the vicinity, the water glass he's holding emanates this light that he follows into the street. And I'm thinking, all right, is this some kind of magic detector? And he sees Emma dressed in black, who's there to kill Norrell before she stopped. And instead, shoulder mask gets shot in the chest. Again, a callback to Jonathan's man, Jeremy, taking that cannonball for him. Mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily know we can say Childermas takes the bullet for Norrell, but it kind of looks that way. Well, he's the one who gets uh, shot rather right. than um, Norrell. So, yeah, we can say he takes it for him. So, All right. Uh, anything else you want to bring up? Oh, oh, okay. So we were talking about um, how Jonathan's acceptance into the army and that nickname of Merlin that they give him at first he's oh really oh my god you know he hates it he's like no don't call me that that he, he was like a you know again this whole that wasn't the proper type of magic but of course once he's accepted then the nickname becomes a, an indicator of his acceptance and and uh, a um a point of pride with him yeah and i, I love the scene when He's going through that with uh, Wellington. Uh, all right. Merlin it is. Yeah. Then. <laughs> um, and while we're talking about Wellington, because the guy played him, uh, Ronan Vibert or Vibert. I'm not sure how that's pronounced, but uh, he's a really good. He, he's been in tons of things. You've probably seen him. But I remember him mostly um, in the, the mini, well, the, the series Rome that was on HBO. Did you ever see Rome? You know, I've tried to watch it a couple of times, and it wasn't that I didn't like it. I, I just got sidetracked. So, you know, you know I've got it's HBO. Amazing. So, oh, yeah, dude, that's what it I is, hear. It is amazing. It's so good. And he plays what? Lepidus, who is basically, um, you know, forms a triumvirate with Mark Antony and Octavian after the death of Caesar. And he just did a, a, a bang up job with that. He's been in tons of other things as well but just he really nails wellington well i mean like like, i didn't know wellington but you know from what you read in history and school and everything of lord wellington it seems like he really kind of nails it there all right well let's hear what fred has to say this week and we'll be right back hello dave and wayne and all listeners to sci-fi tv rewatch this is fred from the netherlands with some feedback for jonathan strange and mr norrell chapter three First off, I have a tip of the week, and that's actually Batwoman. If you look at IMDb, you shouldn't watch this, because the pilot episode has a 4.8. I thought, okay, this is not an 8 or a 9, but 4.8? Really? And then, if you look at the score for the whole season, it's even a 3.0, with more than 9,500 votes. So I don't know if this should be a tip of the week. But I think it's it's quite nice. Good. The storyline is not very, very strong. And there is a lot of explanation going on in the first one, two episodes. But on the other hand, you need that background to get into the story. I never saw a IMDb score that, that low for something I watched. And I think if you just look at how it's filmed and... The gadgets and the tricks and the action and the cinematography and the stunts. I think it's done quite well. I saw some criticisms on the internet and some people find Ruby Rose, the actress that plays Kate Kane and Batwoman, as not believable because she is so slim, tiny, although very badass, as she's showed in other movies and series. It's not believable in that role. For me, she gives a little bit a Demi Moore in G.I. Jane kind of feeling. And what is nice, of course, is that Rachel Scarston plays the crazy Alice. And as a Lost Girl fan, that's nice. She plays a typical Batman antagonist. Always a little crazy, like the Penguin or like the Joker but also something sad in the backstory, why they became like that. That's also true for this Alice. I don't know if you watched anything of it, and if you did, I wonder what you think of it. And talking about Lost Girl, I have a nice treat next weekend. 
Today is the 17th of October, and next week I will travel to the US. So when you hear this on Friday the 25th, I'm already in the US and will visit Urpapalooza, which is a Winona Earp fan convention in St. Louis. And what happened is that as an extra actor, Anna Silk is coming to that convention. Some other actor couldn't make it eventually, and they took Anna Silk, who plays not a big role in Winona Earp, just in one episode, where she is called Kevin, after Kevin Batchelder, another well-known podcaster. So, I will meet Anna Silk, who plays Bo, the lead actress of Lost Girl. And what is almost as interesting as that, that I will meet Dave and Wayne just a few days later. Looking very much forward to that, guys. This is also the reason why I will record my next feedback for episode 4 just after this. Because next weekend I won't have time to do that. In the category What Are We Watching? Apart from Batwoman, I'm also starting now with Departure which is a Canadian series about a lost plane flight and a conspiracy, but with a lot of my favorite Canadian actors in it. Departure is not sci-fi or genre, but with a lot of sci-fi and genre actors, such as Chris Holden-Reed, which we also know from Lost Girl, Christian Brune from Orphan Black, Shazad Latif from The Expanse, Tamara Duarte from Winona Earp, Rebecca Lydiard, who plays in Frankie Drake Mysteries, and apart from that, the main lead role is for Archie Punjabi and Christopher Plummer. Watching the first episode, I suddenly see Doug Ray Scott as Ethan Moreau, the CEO of British Global Air, which I just saw as Jacob Kane, Batwoman's father. And, of course, I know him as Norman Godfrey in Hamlet Grove. You watch two completely different series and you get, within a few hours, exactly the same actor in front of you. By the way, it was not wise to watch an episode with an airplane disaster if you have a transatlantic flight yourself within a week. <clears throat> okay, going to episode 3 of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. What a sneaky guy is this Mr. Norrell, if we see him operating here. But his punishment didn't have to go so far that he would lose Childermoss. Judging from the enormous pool of blood behind his head, and he got a shot right in the heart area, and bleeding so fast, he probably is dead. But I didn't check IMDb if he is in the next episode, so we have to see. On the other hand, Jonathan also dramatically loses his servant, protecting his books to the very last. Last episode, we all had questions about the fairy, a.k.a. the gentleman, whether he should be summoned or not, and obviously not always, because he was at that auction looking at Arabella Strange, but it's even more complicated because in this episode we see her uh, kind of frozen and he talks to Stephen Black about her and she just sits there and doesn't move. Whereas we also saw that he is talking to Stephen where she is moving and she doesn't see him at all. And at other points she even discusses things with him. So on that bench in Sir Walter's house and where she leaves her handkerchief and he picks it up, then she even talks to him, and this all without summoning. So he has obviously all kinds of possibilities to be around, to be seen, to be selectively seen by some and not by others. I think that's it, but initially not easy to understand. One other very nice arc I found is that when Jonathan Strange arrives in Portugal, he is completely ignored by all the militaries. And then at the end, when he revives the Italian soldiers and the small windmill is set on fire, he gets his recognition and all the soldiers take their hats off in respect for him. So that's a very nice arc. 
What I also liked is the role that Lord Wellington plays in a very demanding role, as it probably should be. I wouldn't like him as a boss. And although we get a lot of the background story of Stephen, it's still not clear what he wants with him. And as you said, becoming a king would come with a price, probably. Actually, Stephen never said he wanted to be a king. He didn't ask for it. One of the last scenes is when the fairy shows Stephen his birth, and he says, It is said you are to kill the king and take his place. And then he shows him his birth and the death of his mother. And he also says, This is the ship of Sir Walter's family. And he says, This is what is being taken from you. So is this fairy putting a seed in Stephen's head that the death of his mother is caused by Sir Walter or Sir Walter's family? And is Sir Walter then the king that should be killed? As everybody, I wonder, of course, how the story would go on. Now Jonathan is back in London and has his interaction with Mr. Norrell and his wife, Arabella, again. Very artful, by the way, what Lady Paul makes there. This tapestry with all these figures on it. I wondered, by the way, the handkerchief she shows... Is that actually Jonathan or it's Mr. Norrell? Because he has this silver hair and Jonathan is not wearing a wig and Mr. Norrell is. You any idea? Is this Jonathan or is this Norrell? Okay, that's all for now. I will watch episode 4 now so I can give feedback for that as well. Which will mean that I haven't listened to your podcast about episode 3 when I record my audio feedback for episode 4. And perhaps we can do the feedback for episode 5 together in the good old state of Maryland. But we will see if that works out. Greets, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Alright, Batwoman, have you seen it at all? No, I don't get CW anymore. Oh, that's right. That's right. Now, I haven't seen it either. I have read quite a bit about it over the past few months. And, you know, Fred mentions his surprise at how low the ratings in IMDb are among the viewers. And, and, you know, I have this conversation with my wife all the time. Yeah, if, if a show is in the seven to 7.5 range it's usually pretty good i mean the really good shows are reserved in the eights and and the few that are in the nines and i think he said uh, batwoman's like 3.9 or something which you know i i will get around to taking a look at the pilot the only thing i can say from everything i've read which as i said is quite a bit change is not always good and I wonder if they've just made too many changes to the Batwoman mythology. So I'll just leave it there since I haven't seen it. But I, well, I, I, so, so I'm, I'm going to take this chance to chime in on what uh, CW is doing with their, their DC verse over there. Because they've almost made it that you have to watch all of these shows, right? Because they do so many crossovers. And this is kind of like the last one I was holding on to was, was the uh, Legends of Tomorrow. But then they did this big crossover event that I didn't get because I don't record Arrow or The Flash or Supergirl. And then there was like this big chunk of the story that I just completely missed. And I'm like, what a bunch of BS. Like they, like they killed off one of the main characters in the crossover event. And I'm like, so basically... All right. Well, that was the last CW, you know, the last few shows I was actually watching. Now I watch none of them because uh, I can't take on, you know, five mediocre superhero shows just so I can keep up with the storyline on on one of them. So, yeah, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, I get why they do it, and of course, DC Comics would do it all the time, and that kind of was a way of getting, you know, obviously to get comic book readers interested in their other titles but on the other hand 
it's probably off-putting to a lot of people, and, and they just say, I'm not even going to go there because that's just too much, you know? Well, there's too many other things to watch instead. Right. And and, and like you said, your reaction was, fine, I'm not going to watch any of them then. Yeah. So, now he, he does mention that Rachel Scarston is a uh, villain in the show, and uh, all I have to say about Rachel Scarston is... Uh, Dear, I love you too. So <laughs> maybe I'll have to check that out as well. But he asks, is Childermass dead? Does he die from that gunshot wound at the end? I guess I would have to say, even if he does die, Norrell will try to you know, make another bargain with the gentleman to bring him back. I tend to think he's just gravely wounded and will be uh, tended to and will survive. Um, I mean, what do you think? I, I mean, again, I, I totally can't remember from reading the book what what happened to Children Mass, but I, I tend to agree with you. That I think he'll be he'll be all right. It's a flesh wound. Yeah, I mean, he's he's such a great character, and and only three episodes in, I, I find it hard to believe that he's going to be absent the second half of the series. Now. Fred asks about the king that Stephen has to kill. Is it Sir Walter? Now, on the one hand, I guess that maybe makes sense given the vision that the gentleman shows Stephen about Sir Walter's family owning the slave ship. But that seems a little bit too easy and too convenient. I wonder well, if not it's one king. of the... Yeah, but not a literal king. Yeah, but... So, well, I wonder if it's one of the magicians that that I would be my Stephen to kill. <clears throat> so, so and this is what I'm, what I'm not going to chime in on this one because the, I, I, it's like one of those things where like, is this a prediction or is this something I'm remembering? I'm suspecting it's something I'm remembering, so I'm not going to. I'm going to back off on this one. Now, the other, and for me as a prediction, I would say if it's one of the two magicians, it's going to be jonathan because the gentleman wants him out of the way so he can move in on arabella he asks about the image in lady pole's tapestry of of the guy with the big hair which i immediately thought was the gentleman fred asks whether it's norrell or jonathan and he, he i think thinks it's norrell because of the gray hair but I guess I immediately thought it was the gentleman. So yeah, I I, I, I mean yeah, I think I mean what are you going to do? It's not like she has like tons of yarn to choose from here. She used the best color, but yeah, it's clear. I mean, you you see the hair and the hairstyle is clearly the the gentleman. I'm pretty sure, like I'm like ninety nine percent. All right. Uh, anything else about Fred's feedback? Uh, nope. Okay. All right, well, uh, you know, like we said, still liking this show. We'll we'll be back with some updates uh, about how we're going to proceed, but that'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. I want to thank you guys for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, Dark, anything else going on in genre TV. Join the Facebook group, get into the discussions there. Uh, send emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails can go via the speak pipe tab which you can get on the website or record your own clip and send it to us as an attachment we'll be back next week with a special presentation and i'm gonna leave it at that but until then you know just like uh my wife wrote on her last valentine's day card to me My husband's love has never done me any good.